You are listening to a Blazing Caribou Studios production. Good morning, everybody. This is Victoria, your dog guru, and today we are talking about living in a multi-dog household. Why? Because I do, and because so do most of you. I think it's important to touch on what we struggle with as owners, where when when we have more than one dog in the house. Now, I try generally to avoid terms that include the word pack because I think they've been a bit oversimplified in recent years. And um, so I, I, I try and, and stay away from terminology, terminology like that. So I say multi-dog house. Are they in a pack? Yes. Yes, they are. Mentally, to a certain extent, they are. But not because they're connected with, like, wolves from thousands of years ago. That's not why. They're like that because they're raised in a litter. They function in a social system that has a family unit that, and those social constructs translate later on. So for example, if you have a puppy that's raised um, completely alone and were abandoned by the mother, you're more likely to run into some social problems because it missed time with mom, it missed time with litter mates, and all it really had to go on was us. And while we can give uh, wholeness to the physical needs, making sure that the baby is fed and, and, you know, cared for and can relieve itself and has the, the consistency uh, of well-being it needs, socially, we still can't be dogs. So now, why does this matter? It matters because when you have a multi-dog household, I think all too often, you know, there are assumptions that are made. Or perhaps you're thinking about getting a second dog and you're like, well, maybe it's not the right time. Or, you know, you're, you're, you're on the fence of, is it a good idea? Is it a bad idea? Or maybe someone is telling you that, you know, your dog is lonely and you need to have a dog at home for them. Or perhaps your dog is lonely and someone's suggesting that you have a dog at home for them. Okay, so we're going to talk about getting a dog for the purpose of filling a void. The answer is always no. Because if you don't fill that void, that void will still be there. You can get a dog a friend, but the problem is, is they typically learn negative things from one another. So while you're trying to curb what to you is very negative feedback, negative behavior, um, the other dog is freaking out in the corner. So if you have like an anxiety case and you go away to work, well, if your other dog has had three years of freaking out and then you get a new puppy, it's more likely that sharing the same space, given the same environment and the same context and the puppy having nothing else to go on, he's going to latch on to what the older dog is doing. They learn the bad stuff from each other just like they can learn good things. They don't as frequently learn positive things from each other. And the reason being is because when you think about it, the reason they do things consistently uh, with us is because they've gotten some sort of payoff. Well, if the payoff is from, you know, a litter mate or another dog in the house and not from you, why would they work as hard for you? Why would they be as motivated to be as obedient as the original dog that you trained to work with you? They're not going to be. 
because they've already l earned, you know, the social constructs within the home with somebody. Um, so now you might be asking yourself, does that mean that if I have more than one dog, that they're not going to love me or they'll only love each other. No, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is everything has balance. So you don't fix a problem by getting another dog. Just like you wouldn't have a baby because a relationship was going down the tubes. You don't fix a problem with a Band-Aid and you certainly don't fix it with an exit wound. Um, so with all of that in mind, when you have a multi-dog household and we're talking in the context of you come home and there's like four dogs and they're all over you and they're bowling you over and you can't get a word in edgewise and maybe one's barking and now all four are barking and it's just chaotic. I've always told owners that you have to first, um, you first have to ascertain who is the biggest offenders and or offender. Who do you think is the biggest voice in, in the group? Do you feel like they're being reactive do you feel like every time something bad happens, they're trying to send out an alert or are they trying to be controlling about it? Are they trying to put the kibosh on the chaos? The reason I say that is whoever is the loudest mover is typically the one you have to work with first. Whoever, or if you don't know, then pick whoever's hardest first because whoever is the most difficult to work with, once you've mastered that, everything else is downhill. So to me, you know, tackling the hardest one, while it may seem more difficult on the forend, will give you confidence that you can handle all the rest on the back. And in fact, it'll be a lot easier to work with the others. But that's what I was leading into, is that you're going to have to work with them as individuals, because even though they're in a pack, multi-dog house, they are not going to behave for you. They have to be trained just like the original dog was trained, hopefully. Well, you know, if they didn't, then you're about to reap what you sowed. Um... When it comes to, you know, you, you'll, uh, and it doesn't mean that if you have several dogs that you can't have a good relationship with them, you can't find that balance, but it starts with training, basic obedience across the board. If your dogs at dinner time aren't all sitting, aren't all waiting, aren't all patient at mealtimes, then you already have a problem because mealtimes are for me with clients, they were the most telling because dogs can't really hide their emotions at that time because food's on the table or food's coming out. So if there's anxiety within the dynamic, it usually surfaces then. If there are problems between um, the, the owner's language and the dialogue between them and their dog, you'll see it then. Uh, so it's a really, it, it's always been teachable. There's always been teachable moments in feeding time. But I tell clients, if you're going to feed them in the same space, you I ideally would have them in a crate to do that, at least in the very beginning, if, if you're adding a dog. If you've done this for years and years and they've kind of established their regime, that's fine. But you never know when you're adding a new dog to the house or uh, a younger dog is in the home when they're going to get a wild hair and decide, okay, I'm just going to wing it and try and snag that food because they will. Sooner or later, they may get that wild idea and you may be just out of reach and now you've got a dog fight on your hands. And neither of them was naturally aggressive, but now you're going to have to work back from that point because unfortunately, now you have an event at mealtime. And like I said, there, those can be teachable moments. Well, teachable moments can be good and bad. So when you're thinking about um, finding balance in a multi-dog household, what it takes, the initial things are isolating space. So I like for all the dogs to be interacting with one another. 
when you come home, be prepared. They're going to have pent up energy, whether they were crated all day, whether, which I hope they weren't, by the way, I hope that you had somebody come check in on them or do something with them, or there's somebody interacting with them because crating a dog all day, every day for the duration of its life is unfair. Uh, as a training tool until a dog is potty trained as a stepping stone. Okay. But long term, I, it's not, it's not a goal I would have for a dog. I would want them to have the same freedom that I would have if I were chilling out on my day off. You know, if, if I'm not working with a dog and I know that I can trust them in the home, I see no reason not to have them free. So that's just my two cents on creating long term. I always try and work away from that. There are some dogs, though, that love their crates. And if you took it away, it would be emotionally difficult for them. I mean, not that they couldn't necessarily overcome it, but it might be more more than it's worth to go through for them. So let's talk about what you can do right now. So I talked about feeding time. So during feeding time, make sure there's at least 10 feet of space between every dog. If you're thinking to yourself in my room, there isn't 10 space, there's not 10 feet of space between every dog because there isn't enough space, then you're probably actually inviting an unhealthy situation. I'm not saying if you've done this for years and years, it will happen, but I am saying if you haven't done it for years and years, it can. Uh, I've had dogs that have never really had long-term problems. And then one dog gets an internal illness and isn't feeling well one day. And another one just walks by and boom, they're freaking out at each other because it's mealtime. And all of a sudden it matters because somebody wasn't feeling well. And these are things that a dog is not going to verbalize to you. It's something you're going to walk into. Nine times out of 10 situations that, especially when it comes to aggression that surface, were triggered. They were triggered either by previous events or by things that are going on uh, biochemically or medically with them. Um, sometimes psychologically, but that often goes back to training and where their foundation is and where they fall in the pack, what they feel emotionally within your home. You know, if your dog is super insecure, they're going to continue feeling insecure and they're going to behave in an insecure manner, whether they're going to lash out or withdraw, it's going to be one end of the spectrum of the other or the other. Um, dogs are generally not middle of the road unless they feel well, you know, then they're pretty much, eh, okay, I'm doing good today. You know, when you first get home, be prepared to have excited dogs, but an easy thing that, or I say it's easy, um, Something that you should focus on and work towards, I should say, is making sure that they understand that when you come home, they each have a job to do almost as soon as you get through the door. So with my dogs, when I come through the door and greet them, I always ask them to sit. Now, did they do this naturally? No. I had to work at it a lot. Um, and I always added one dog at a time. So you'll add, you know, your, your, your most difficult dog you get into a sit first and you do that for a week every time you come home. Then you add another dog. Then you add another dog. And you're probably thinking to yourself, well, this is going to take forever. No, it won't. It just takes time. You have to divide and conquer. I think that the number one mistake I saw owners make when I was working in home with them was they were trying to attack the problem with both dogs um, together always. And you, you cannot reach a dog as an individual when they're you know, bouncing off of one another like that. It's not that you can never bring them back together, but you have to teach them individually because they're going to have individual triggers. They're going to have things that like one is going to be more impulsive than the other. And one is going to be more attentive. You know, you'll notice that they're a little bit more interactive with you. They're engaged with the training. I feel like you have to go with the dog that you have in front of you. And that's why you divide and conquer. It's because there really isn't a way that you can fix a problem by working 
with 10 kids in a room. Once you've mastered getting them to sit together um, and you've already gotten your structured feeding area where they can't interfere during mealtimes because that's the number one area where they're going to get inflammatory with one another. That's not to say you won't see aggression crop up anywhere else, but it certainly uh, will surface. If there are issues within the pack and the dynamic within the home, it will surface at mealtime. Uh, you see that in horses also, but when it comes to dogs, the only way you're ever going to feel like there's peace in your home with a multi-dog household is if you're realistic and you take it in stages. You know, if your goal is to have the whole house full of dogs trained, you better have four adults in the house ready to work with four different dogs and then bring them together. Um, that element of adding a dog at a time is how you start gauging who's pushing who so that you can address that problem. Because if you add, and, and switch up who you're adding, um, you know, work with them individually on the, each behavior, like sitting at the door or sitting when you come in through a door. And then once they're doing it really well, they sit every single time you ask them to, then you add the first dog. Okay, that gr went great, so you practice that. Okay, now what about the second dog? So you switch the first dog out for the second. So you see, you don't finish the pattern until you've cycled through all of the dogs. And they've all done it with one another before they do it all together. Now, that gap can be closed in as little as minutes, hours, uh, when it comes to they already understand the behavior really well. Once you've gotten to uh, the point where three out of the four are sitting for you, the fourth is, you know, they already know the deal. They're waiting. They're listening. They're tuned in. And you're just doing damage control on one dog. But, you know, if you <clears throat> start with four dogs in front of you, you're going to have one running over there, one jumping on you, one trying to get the treats in your hand. It's just not going to work. So don't don't put yourself through that. It's an uphill battle you don't need to fight. And honestly, they're going to learn better if they have that one-on-one -on -one time with you, which I think is the other element we need to talk about. When you have a multi-dog house, you see elements of je jealousy crop up. Um, so I, I remember going to one client's house and there was one dog that was allowed uh, on her lap and uh, she had another small dog and that one was not allowed on her lap. For whatever reason, uh, she kind of let, appropriately named King, have her lap. So he was the only one that was allowed to be on her lap. And he, he wasn't even the older one, so I don't know what, it was, what that was about. But, you know, I told her that imbalance seems that's going to translate elsewhere. If he sees that, you know, one dog is getting one thing that the other doesn't, and you're telling me you have behavior problems, I'm not really surprised because there's essentially like social injustice here, you know, at play. And dogs don't think of it the way we would. I mean, they're not dwelling on it, but it can definitely cause problems within the hierarchy if one feels favored over the other. Step two is always getting eye contact. Once you've isolated their position, getting eye contact is your main objective. Getting them to look at you and tune into you on a visual level is important. For dogs that have self-confidence issues, this is a really important exercise. For dogs with attention span problems, this is a great exercise. Um, so it's gonna work across the board, but I use the word look and I lure a treat from their nose to my eyes. And <clears throat> I just hold it there for a second initially. And then I mark it, good dog, give them the treat. Then I'll just hold the treat up there for two seconds. Good dog, give them the treat. I slowly will work up to to, you know, maybe 30 seconds, 40 seconds is a really good uh, range. My dogs could 
hold a look for a minute and a half, two minutes straight without distraction if I wanted them to. But you really don't need dogs to be militant at that level. It's kind of just something, you know, you may test them with occasionally. But there is a key to, to the look at exercise because they're going to start trying to test you and look away or get distracted on purpose. So there's two things you do, need to do. So if they ever look away, I always immediately bring their attention to the treat and back to my eyes and then immediately give them the treat. So why do I do that? I haven't said anything to them. I haven't given them feedback. The reason I do that is... I don't want to correct distraction because obviously there's going to be things in the world that can distract them. I want to reward them making the choice to look back at me. That's what I'm doing. I'm trying to mark that. I'm making that more valuable than over-focusing and being overstimulated elsewhere. So that's what I'm doing there. The other tip I have is keep the length of time that you're trying to get them to keep their eyes on your eyes random. So one time you do it for five seconds, one time you do it for 30 seconds, one time you do it for two seconds, you know, make it easy, simplify the process and keep it interesting. I always like to do combinations of cues because I know that it wears out their mind, which will wear out their body, believe it or not, you know, mental stimulation is so much more valuable, or I don't want to say more valuable, I take that back, I'm going to redact that, please do not think that it is more valuable for your dog to have mental stimulation than to have exercise or food or water. I'm not trying to say that. I am trying to say that you have to prioritize mental stimulation within their schedule. And I'm not unrealistic. I have a family, you know, I have a young child, in fact. So I don't have hours a day to be running a dog. But I also picked an appropriate breed for my family and the stage I am in life. I knew that I wasn't going to be running uh, an Australian Shepherd every day. That wasn't going to be the breed for me. And you have to be realistic about the, the individuals you have in front of you. I said that several times in this episode. And what I mean by that is if you have an Australian Shepherd, guess what? You're running. Or you're playing fetch, <laughs> you're doing something to keep them stimulated, um, and you, you've got mental stimulation to worry about, you know, and then you might have right s- sitting beside it a, a dachshund, and a dachshund's got a way different need set, you know, they're smaller, they're, they've got finer bones, they don't want to really necessarily play very l- long uh, outside, you know, they're kind of, they can be like little divas in some cases, so... You know, every dog has their own personality type. And I don't generalize even by breed category. There are um, obviously breed characteristics that we sh- we shoot for. And there are uh, behavioral patterns that, that match that. But I wouldn't go so far as to say, you have a German Shepherd. It's always going to be a garter. Because I've met German Shepherds that did not guard, didn't have a lick of that instinct. So it happens. I've seen dogs that were, you know, what most would consider a a very intelligent breed. Couldn't be bothered. Just not their person. It's not that they weren't intelligent. They weren't motivated. So, you know, when you're dealing in a multi-dog household, you start small. You You have big dreams and you start small with low expectations. Because at first, it's going to be untangling the ball of yarn. That is the situation you're in. You know, if you have an aggression situation, I'm going to tell you right now, this is not me advising you to try and wrangle that situation on your own. Go get a professional involved. I always recommend trying to find a behavioral specialist who focuses on training with positive reinforcement. I do that because I don't see that it causes damage. It may not have instantaneous results, 
but it has lasting results that are not going to cause other problems that will crop up when the training ends, which is one of my main concerns. You know, if you force a dog into a, a pattern and you haven't given them time to come around to the idea, them time to process it, them time to come <clears throat> to the table and agree, then you just got on the bus without a bus driver. Because even though you're trying to teach the dog the behavior, you're missing the most important part of everything, which is dialogue. You can't just say a word and expect a dog to obey because part of the reason that they obey or they acquiesce is because you have built a relationship. You have trust. They have skin in the game. You know, I once had someone say to me, well, I could kick a dog, not a client, by the way. I, well, I could kick a dog and it will still come back to me. That's true. That's probably true. Have you done damage? Will they come back? Yes. Will they be trusting? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And unfortunately, they're going to be in a cyclical mindset. Now, for most multi-dog households uh, that I walked into, I, I, there wasn't a time where I walked in that they weren't completely overwhelmed and thinking that it wasn't going to work. You know, for whatever, whatever reason, sometimes they had more than one dog that they felt was the aggressor. But usually, it was... <clears throat> A series of issues. There was consistent. There was inconsistency when it came to things like exercise. There was inconsistency when there was when it came to things like, um, you know, a training schedule. If you don't make time in your busy day, ten minutes, a couple of times a day, to connect with your dog, and affection is one element of that but the other element of it is training. If you don't take that time, it will show up in your relationship. It will show up in how they behave in your home or out of the home, with strangers, other dogs, and the list goes on. So you need to set a standard that they can adhere to and understand, but it has to be built on trust because heaven forbid they ever get out of the house. Do you want a dog that's been afraid of you or afraid of a certain type of reaction from you that just keeps running and you know the worst should happen you know a car goes by and then that's it that could have been avoided had you well had a good common called but also if your dog had the incentive behind the queue you know a dog's not going to come back to you if there's nothing in it for them and if the relationship isn't there whether you have a cookie or not if a dog is out and about a cookie usually is not enough I mean, it, it can be. For, for some dogs, it can be. But I would rather know that my dog trusts me. I like having a relationship where we can both, at the end of the day, cuddle up together and be like, we did this. Thanks for being there for me, buddy. You know, that's why we have them. We need to have empathy. We can't just look at them as furry machines that we expect to just behave when we haven't done the work, when we haven't had that personal investment. So this week, when you finish listening to my podcast, I would appreciate it if you would spend 10 minutes with your dog and work on something as simple as sit and look. Because if you've never done it before, you definitely need to give it a shot and it won't hurt your relationship. I think that every dog should get, you know, 10 minutes with their owner a day that's just their time. So give that to them this week. 
Also, uh, next week we will be having another episode of Ask Your Dog Guru. So if you have any questions, you can send them via the Facebook page, which is facebook.com. And then you can search for Ask Your Dog Guru. And then we do have a group, Dog Guru Hounds, also on Facebook. And we are on Instagram and Twitter, so you can find us there. This is our very first episode without background music. I had several listeners come forward and say, well, I don't know if I really want to hear the music. So we're giving this a shot. And if you guys like it, we'll keep it this way and just have uh, intro, outro music. So a little slight change there. And if you haven't already, check out our t-shirt store. We have other merchandise there too. Phone cases, laptop cases, mugs. Fun stuff. I like, there's one shirt on there that I really want. I want the, it's like a racer back kind of uh, yoga tee. I want that with my logo on it. So I will be joining you guys this weekend if you go ahead and support the show. Or if you would just like to donate to the show, you can do that at paypal.me forward slash your dog guru. Do you like sci-fi, AI, and technology? Do you enjoy going on tangents and down random rabbit holes of a subject? Then join me and my friends each week on Brokebot Mountain as some artificially intelligent people attempt to walk through a maze that explores themes of existence and free thought in sci-fi TV, movies, and books. The conversations are unique and bring an unusual perspective to the genre and can literally go anywhere. And we do mean anywhere. You can find us at BlazingCaribouStudios.com or look for Brokebot Mountain on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play or anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts. That's it for me today, everybody. This has been Victoria, your dog guru. Namaste. You've been listening to a Blazing Caribou Studios production. Support and subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash blazingcariboustudios.